0: There's never been a more important time to ensure your immune system is operating at its peak. This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman with a new natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals created exclusively to help promote a better immune response. Elderberry with Zinc and Echinacea. Future Farm's Elderberry with Zinc and Echinacea is the first to combine these three powerful ingredients together. Elderberries packed with antioxidants, vitamins, and may boost your immune system. Echinacea has been shown to activate chemicals in the body that decrease inflammation, and zinc activates T lymphocytes. Low zinc has been associated with increased susceptibility. For more information and order, call 888-841-7216. That's 888-841-7216. Or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's future P-H-A-R-M. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Elderberry with zinc and echinacea's all natural science-based and works without adverse side effects. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine podcast. I'm your host Dr. Ronald Hoff. We're talking about uh, genomic testing and our guest is Dr. Sharon Hausman Cohen. She is a Chief Medical Officer and co-founder of Intellex DNA. That's Intel with two L's, two X's, followed by DNA. You can get more information at intellexdna.com. And uh so Sharon, um The question I might pose is, who might want to get genomic testing? What are are the types of patients uh, who uh, are good candidates for this?
1: Well, we really have about three types of people that like to do this. The first group are people who are already having symptoms of a chronic disease. So they might be having mild cognitive impairment, and they want to prevent Alzheimer's. And that's a pretty common reason that someone will come to an IntelliX DNA provider. The second type are people who can kind of see the the future at being at risk. They have a little bit of a high blood sugar or they know their cholesterol is high and their dad had heart disease so they're starting to worry about chronic diseases and those people are generally people in their 40s, 50s, 60s. And then the third type are people who just don't feel well, maybe they're your medical mystery patient. Um. and well actually there's a fourth type so the medical mystery patient and often they have problems with mitochondria which have to do with energy production for the brain and the muscles they'll have problems with detox pathways which is the ability to clear different toxins and benzene and all kinds of things in our environment um, and then the fourth group are the Individuals that just want to be proactive, a lot of the millennials or generation X people Mm -hmm. in their thirties and forties that are like, wow, we have this technology. Wouldn't it be great before I have an adverse reaction to anesthesia or before I get a blood clot while traveling over to Europe for me to know that I'm at higher risk and learn how to take care of myself and what things I need more of and what things I need less of?
0: You know, as a clinician, I would, I would put it this way. Uh, it's great uh, for patients who have. Uh, challenging medical problems, uh, especially when we don't have enough clues as to what to do because, you know, the tests that we have are, are limited. But it's also great for patients who have, who come and are desiring optimization because it's really, in a way, it's hard to develop a dialogue uh that involves incisive intelligent interventions for a patient who comes in and shows you blood tests and their cholesterol's great and they're taking a million vitamins and you know we can check for vitamin levels but they're all going to be high uh and maybe you know we could say well what's your family history okay yeah I have somebody my grandfather had uh, heart disease uh but still it 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 it's hard to determine if those familial risks have actually uh been passed along to them uh and so it really informs our choices sometimes uh where our roadmap is kind of scanty that's why i find it a valuable uh clinical tool it really amplifies uh to a large degree um the amount of data that we have to base clinical decisions on so so that's why i that's how why i find it valuable
1: you you brought up a really good point about family history being limiting um i had one patient, and she had no family history of diabetes, but her hemoglobin A1C, which is a measure of your blood sugar over the last mm-hmm. three months, was running in the pre-diabetes range. And she's like, well, my grandfather had diabetes, but and she was in her early 50s, Um, but I don't think either my parents have it. And when we looked at her genes, we were able to see that she had just gotten One copy from mom and one copy from dad of a gene that one copy of gives you a slight increased risk, but two copies of it makes you not able to really respond to insulin Mm -hmm. and gives you almost a seven times risk. And so when we understood what the underlying reason was for her risk of high blood sugar, we were able to respond to it better. And then she had a few other things that we were able to respond to um, with – Things like whey protein and things Mm -hmm. like taking a supplement that helps to release a hormone that helps you uh, release more insulin. And so lots of different natural things. And she was able to get that back out of the pre diabetes range. And so, and
0: and this is actually where I find it very valuable because uh, when it comes to type 2 diabetes, you know, if a patient comes in and they're massively overweight and they're eating a lot of carbs, you know, it, it, our job is. Clinicians is fairly easy. We just say, okay, you know, exercise, lose weight, cut the carbs, and, uh, you know, you'll be, you'll be fine. We'll get that hemoglobin A1C under six. Uh, but then there's that type of patient who comes in and they're already thin. Uh, they're already eating a pretty good diet. Uh, and yet, um, their hemoglobin A1C just, you know, is in the six and a half range. Uh, they're not, you know, perhaps full-blown diabetic. Uh, they're not insulin-dependent diabetics, but they're the ones where we can sometimes discover uh, problems, not so much with insulin resistance, but with uh, insufficient secretion of insulin, short of insulin-dependent diabetes, uh, that respond to things like uh, gymnema, whey protein, uh, other ways of um, getting the pancreas to be more uh responsive to signals to produce uh, insulin appropriately
1: absolutely and that we call those the skinny diabetics yeah, and again that's about yeah it's about seven percent of the population that will have two copies of that gene that you're talking about which is called tcf7l2 it just uh it doesn't really matter what it stands for but it, it's what's important is One copy of that gene decreases your ability for your stomach to signal to your pancreas, incoming carbs, incoming carbs, you know, release the insulin Mm -hmm. by 30%. So for people who have two copies of it, they're down 60% that ability to handle carbs. And when they understand that, then we can say, you know, whey protein, if you use a high enough amount, can increase that release of the incretin, what they don't release, by over 150%. So again, then people are going to be much more compliant with diet or they can choose to take medications or they can choose to use supplements because they know it's about them, not just about generic medical advice.
0: When it comes to obesity, uh, there's a whole section of the Intellix panel uh, which speak to the issue of uh, obesity. And of course, there's not one single gene uh, that gives you a propensity to overweight. Uh, It's literally... Uh, hundreds of genes, you know, to uh, make it a little bit simpler and more comprehensible, uh, you boiled it down to, you know, perhaps a dozen or, or so uh, genes that are highly deterministic about weight. Uh, but the good news here, too, is that not everyone with these genes is destined to be obese. We can, through various means, through dietary means, through exercise, uh, through portion control, uh push back against that so that uh, the phenotype, the actual end result of someone with some of these genes may be normal weight, right?
1: Absolutely. I think that um, one of the most common collections of genes is something called STAT3, which relates to inflammation. But it's a really interesting gene. Which, which, by
0: gene the way, I have some of, you know, I've done this genetic testing. And yet, you know, I was a chubby child. But, you know, through, you know, good diet and exercise, I've maintained optimal weight. But, maybe I am susceptible.
1: Well, the thing about it that's so interesting is it was meant to be a protectant against starvation. And so it only causes fat storage around your middle in the presence of excessive saturated fat. And if you were starving in Poland, you know, a hundred years ago and- Like my ancestors. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. Mine too. And You know, they only got access to animal meat once or twice every few months. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be to your benefit when it was beginning of winter and they were killing Bessie the cow for Mm -hmm. you to say, oh, I don't really want any. I'm not hungry. So when you eat saturated fat, it causes excessive storage of fat around the middle. But it was really a protectant. And with people who have this, if they just keep their saturated fat very low, they will not be heavier than people without these genes. But if you increase saturated fat, you can increase logarithmically the fat storage around your waistline. So that's a really powerful gene. I had one lady who she would struggle between being kind of a 12 to a 14 And she was only five foot four so she didn't love that and once she learned that she did better without saturated fat she was able to lose that weight by eating really fish and plant-based still ate fat but things like avocados and nuts and seeds and now she is generally between a six and eight so that's been really tremendous for her
0: yeah i have an archival uh, family picture of my great grandmother uh standing in a marketplace in warsaw poland and it must be freezing because she's all covered up, and she's holding by the legs upside down the scrawniest chicken you ever saw. And, you know, it's so symbolic of, you know, I think for, it was like a kind of a a big coup to be able to get a chicken and serve it up for a Sabbath meal. Uh, that, that kind of really illustrates the point is that we do have thrifty genes that maybe are overwhelmed by the overabundance of foods that we have in, in the modern era,
1: that's right. And they wouldn't have wasted that saturated fat. They would cook up that schmaltz and eat right. the chicken liver and nose to
0: tail or beak that's to, right. to, beak to beak to claw. <laughs> you know, and chicken feet weren't off weren't off the menu. Um, so um, when it when when it comes to um, there, you know there are other uh, things that are tested for um, in this series of uh, genetic analyses. Uh, there's an interesting section on, uh, macular degeneration. And what's puzzling about macular degeneration is that, uh, some people are extraordinarily prone to macular degeneration. Uh, we know that, uh, Caucasian women are more prone to macular degeneration, uh, than, uh, African American women, for example. So we know that there probably is a genetic component, but, uh, your test really zeroes in on some of the risk factors, but then, you know, do people just have to resign themselves that they're inevitably going to go blind?
1: No, absolutely not. Again, everything that we look at has interactions with nutrition and with the environment. So if you know that you have one of the genes that tremendously increases um, the blood vessel growth in the back of the eye under times of stress or that makes you have a more a pigment in the back of the eye that's more susceptible... Just avoiding smoke and wearing blue light glasses and doing things like getting enough of certain nutrients that are found in leafy greens um, like lutein and zeaxanthin can be significantly beneficial. Combining those genes with smoke, and it could be smoking or it could be mm-hmm. going out and barbecuing, can increase the risk of macular degeneration 15-fold. So avoiding smoke is something pretty easy to do. Um, and then there's other genes that are regulated by zinc. Um, and then there's other genes that are regulated, you know, that relate to pesticides and how you clear them. So when mm-hmm. you know more about So-called it.
0: So-called detox genes, things that have to do with glutathione, for example.
1: Yes, yes. That and another one called peroxinase, which is more like the pesticides and um, oxidative stress to your cholesterol so when you the more you know about it excuse me
0: that may be why you know we know that uh, farmers uh, have a much higher incidence of parkinson's disease and yet there's some farmers who just spray indiscriminately over fields for their entire lifetimes and they don't come down with neurodegenerative diseases maybe they just don't have the snips that are associated with uh, susceptibility
1: Absolutely. So we see um, in the detox pathways, as you mentioned, glutathione, and I know this is kind of technical, but that's the master detoxer pathway. Um, We call it as a conjugator. So, you know, like conjugal relationships. So a glutathione attaches to toxins and removes it. And if you have problems with that ability to remove toxins, you're susceptible to so many more neurodegenerative diseases because you can't clear mercury. You can't clear clear glyphosates. And they did a study in a small village in Ecuador, which was a coffee growing village um, that they used to. I say used to because they don't anymore because of the study, they used to spray the village with glyphosate before the harvest um, as part of keeping the crops um, under control. And then they found, there's a famous geneticist in Ecuador that found that the women, and it's about 12% of the women who had two copies of this one mm. gene um, in that glutathione pathway had almost eightfold risk of having either birth defects in their mm. children or miscarriages. Mm. So absolutely what is going on with your detox pathways is a huge factor for neurodegenerative diseases, um, as well as things like, of course, miscarriages.
0: In, in mercury detoxification, uh, th- these pathways also play a role in handling mercury, because some people, you know, we're all exposed to it. And yet some people, you know, they they say, well, mercury is harmless. Well, maybe in a aggregate population study, it's harmless, but some people seem extraordinarily susceptible. Perhaps it's because of the genetic uh, SNPs that render them more vulnerable.
1: Right. There are different pathways that allow you to actually carry mercury back out of the brain. So if you're not good, and Caucasians have this particular combination of genes pretty frequently so if you're not good at carrying that mercury back across the blood-brain barrier so it can be cleared by your body that's a problem when you're playing with mercury as a kid or exposed to it accidentally because you eat too much fish or for any other reason.
0: This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman. As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I've found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences. And now I'm excited about a new natural wellness line from Plus CBD, CBD Calm and CBD Sleep. CBD Calm helps ease tension, soothe irritability, and contributes to a greater sense of contentment through a blend of Plus. CBD's award-winning full-spectrum CBD plus L-theanine and 5-HTP. CBD sleep aids occasional sleeplessness with CBD plus melatonin as well as soothing magnolia bark extract and relaxing lemon balm so you can get the rest you need and wake up alert and focused. Both products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code HOFFMAN30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman. Management. To switch gears, another um, concern that people have when they undertake these tests is, you know, these days we're given out all kinds of data and, you know, data gets hacked routinely. You know, we just had uh, the accounts of hundreds of millions of people uh, hacked as part of uh, uh, a data breach at Capital One. You know, all their personal and financial information was released. Uh, how do we know... That this information, uh, isn't going to, uh, get released. And then it may become prejudicial to us, you know, perhaps because we have bad genes, you know, a future employer or, you know, the government may find out that we have, uh, bad genes and that somehow they'll, they'll utilize these, this information for nefar- nefarious uh, purposes. What's the confidentiality on this?
1: So there's a number of layers of confidentiality. First of all, we train our clinicians. Uh, to, they, to not put to realize that genomics is not part of their medical record. Now pharmacogenomics, if you're doing drug metabolism, you may want that in your medical record. Mm-hmm. But when people go in for a genomic consult, um, Intellix DNA gives the clinicians a separate portal. It's not something covered by insurance, so it's not subject to release to insurance, okay. um, but it's also stored under a barcode. So um, even our lab, and we use a well-respected university lab that does testing for different NIH studies and all kinds of studies. They do not even know whose DNA is whose. It's Mm -hmm. all stored under barcodes. Um, And then our programmers also do work for the Department of Defense. So there's a number of levels of security protecting their ID. But, um, But again, we definitely take security very seriously. We never sell any DNA things like
0: that. Right. And, and actually, and I think the business model for some of the companies that do DNA testing is they may sell, sell you a $99 test kit, but what they're doing essentially is they're doing data mining because they'll have you fill out a very elaborate questionnaire, sometimes uh, hundreds of questions long about all manner of uh, health and lifestyle factors uh, so that they can then take uh, the DNA results and, and sell them to, to pharmaceutical companies or companies doing research.
1: Right. And we we do not uh, do that. Our, our current panels are being used by research physicians, but we do not sell DNA to other researchers. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to do, like I said, uh, there's studies ongoing on things like Alzheimer's. There's actually an exciting study that's a future study on autism. And so, people certainly use genomics for research, but we don't sell DNA or other people's data.
0: So, you're working on uh, and this is not included in the current panel, but uh, something in the future for Intellix DNA, uh a series of SNPs that may relate to uh, autism susceptibility, not so much for family planning purposes, but perhaps to reveal uh, therapeutic avenues for kids with uh, developmental disorders?
1: Yes. Yeah, so... Um- part of autism. So there's part of autism that are those mutations. They're actually known, you would have to do whole genomic sequencing and look for rare, rare mutations. But more than half of autism, you know, whether it's 50% or 70% kind of depends on the population, is actually kind of more like um, Alzheimer's or heart disease, Mm -hmm. where it's little variations that affect the gut, that affect the hormones like oxytocin that allow people to have social bonding mm-hmm. that affect glutamate, which can be an irritant for the brain. And so we are collaborating right now with the Australian Center for Genomic Analysis, and um, Dr. Heather Way is doing some amazing work, um, and it's currently in alpha testing um, with a study that she has ongoing, and a, we have a few start sites just starting to get involved in the United States. Um, but uh, we plan on having that come out in 2020, uh, mm-hmm. but Dr. Way has already had hundreds of children that have on the, the spectrum that have gone from nonverbal to verbal using genomics, as well as addressing things like their their gut. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are, again, just starting to add some testing in the United States and having some really exciting results. So well,
0: that's yeah, great. It's of interest that in, in one very exciting trial, uh, the nutrient sulforaphane uh, was beneficial for, uh, kids suffering from autism. So that really does suggest a, some detox pathway, uh, brain protective nutrient, uh, application, um, and that, that can actually, um, sort of work with plasticity that, that's still available to these kids.
1: Absolutely. Um, there's also one of the master Inflammatory pathways, Um, interleukin-1 is also modulated by sulforaphane, which comes from broccoli sprouts extract, but TNF-alpha and TNF-alpha levels, which is another really important inflammation pathway, have been shown to be much, much higher in children with autism, and so we can also look at people who abnormally make TNF-alpha, but there's just a whole, you know, the biggest problem with autism is choosing Uh, Again, which are the ones that have the best studies um, and what do we include so as not to make it an overwhelming report, but we still get good outcomes. But let's say we're having um, with, uh, with our Australian expertise, we're having really some great preliminary results and we're real excited to be able to help people. Uh, have a better quality of life and kind of unlock those children. Dr. Wei, with her own child, um, used genomics a couple, number of years ago when she first started, and he was in diapers and nonverbal at seven. And within six months of genomics, he was mainstreamed in school and reading. Wow. So
0: that's yeah. it's really exciting. Uh, and, and you know, and beyond just the niche area of uh, autism, uh, it really suggests the potential for optimization of of many uh conditions that afflict uh, adults without uh uh div- you know classic developmental disorders so that that is exciting indeed uh so you know a couple of you know practical details you know first of all uh you're in private practice uh although you spend a lot of your time uh working and developing the intellix dna test and helping clinicians to uh, implement it and educating clinicians on how to interpret it is that correct is there you have a center in uh austin texas
1: Yes, so we have a small private practice that I call our playground um, for the genomics, but it also allows us to stay current on what's going on in integrative medicine. It's called Resilient Health, um, Resilient Health Austin, and it's myself and a couple other physicians and the co-founder of Intellix DNA, who is an integrative manual therapist, but also uh, excellent leader and businesswoman. Um, So we have that in Austin, and then um, we also... Again, Italics DNA is being used across the country. We don't have every state yet because we did just launch last November, but we have in most major mm-hmm. cities and states um, wonderful practitioners, um, including uh, the the Naples Center in Florida that took over uh, what used to be Dr. Perlmutter's mm-hmm. clinic, Dr. Okay. Maristani. They're
0: using it, yeah.
1: Yeah, and you guys, and all across, we have, you know, most of the major cities, we have people using this in most of the case small to medium-sized practices
0: is is there a directory you know because this this podcast goes out all over the country and and literally around the world uh is there a directory you know state by state or or country by country uh for people who you know would prefer not to travel you know hundreds of thousands (laughs) of miles to, to find a practitioner who does this test
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, so on our website, we featured some of our, we have some featured users who are some of our most experienced users, but, um, and that has, again, people from, that used to be Mayo Clinic and lots of wonderful practitioners, but, um, We will provide, somebody can go through our website and request a list of people licensed Mm -hmm. in their state. We don't put our whole directory, um, up on our website because some people prefer to have their names released only to the people in their state. They don't want calls from, you know, drug reps and things like that. So Mm they, (laughs) they, but absolutely anyone who's interested, we are happy to give them a list of people who are comfortable and experienced in providing this kind of information in their state.
0: Right. And, you know, I have to say that the, uh, it, the, the, the interpretation of these tests is, is challenging, but the education that you provide to your practitioners is really top notch. And I've really found it a, a fascinating intellectual exercise to uh, work with you, uh, to begin to understand the potential of this emerging science. You know, we must state that this is, a science that's in evolution. And uh, you would be the first person to admit uh, that we're learning more and more, you know, every day. Uh, you know, every week new studies uh, come out uh, suggesting new implications of various genes uh, in terms of uh, health conditions and uh, the application of certain nutrients. And, you know, so this is a work in progress. It's a dynamic uh uh, Test that you know you keep modifying and improving as the new findings come out.
1: Yes, that's actually one of my favorite things. I love to research. I started doing research you know, back in high school and college, and people are always sending me studies. Our research team is always reading. I do. So I constantly you just, bug
0: you with studies. I mean, I just, I, I see it. I send it to you. I said, like, you know, maybe she doesn't have time or I hope she finds it interesting, but I keep sending you stuff.
1: I love your studies, but like just today, we added some variants that relate to a different detox pathway that you modify with vitamin C because it's part of activating vitamin C that can increase the risk of cataracts like 3.4 fold hmm. and interestingly vitamin C has been shown to help prevent cataracts well it probably will help even more in the people who have these variants mm-hmm. um, and this pathway also relates to arsenic and um, vitamin C has also been shown to help clear arsenic so um, we're you know we just added some more inflammatory pathways some more things in stroke so um, we're constantly adding and constantly we have over a hundred different topics in development.
0: Right. uh, And that's interesting because when I uh, look up a patient, um, when I click on your website, it says generate a new report. And what? so the DNA is always the same. It never changes. So that DNA, that sample was submitted, you know, say it was submitted in 2018. But in 2021... That report will look a lot different than it did in 2018, correct? Because you will, you, new interpretations and new implications are being added, you know, virtually on a, on a daily basis.
1: Correct. We have the ability to add quite a bit more. Uh, Right now we show a few hundred, you know, about 600 or so variants that we've spent the time and feel like we understand well enough to give doctors enough information that they can use. But there are a couple hundred thousand on our array. So uh, give us time.
0: (laughs) Indeed. I I really feel that, you know, we're on the cusp of a a revolution uh, in our understanding of... um, uh, disease, and also uh, the interaction between our genes and lifestyle and nutrients, and I, you know, that really is on, you know, the cutting edge of integrative medicine. So, you know, kudos to you, congratulations for taking it on. It's it's challenging work, but uh, you know, it's it's obviously got some real life payoffs. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was Sharon Hausman Cohen, Chief Medical Officer of Intellix DNA.